Maddie's believes nature is beautiful, majestic, serene. But human nature is inventive, intrepid, reckless. Nature says, look how many colors I can fit in a sunset. Human nature says, look how many hot wings I can fit in my mouth. But human nature needs nature. That's why there's Maddie's all-natural acid and indigestion relief. A drug-free remedy for human nature. Available at Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, and Amazon. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. There are so many reasons not to skip breakfast. So many savory, mouth-watering, tasty, delicious beyond all belief reasons. Actually, that last one was pretty convincing. Stop by for a McDonald's breakfast. Mix and match a sausage biscuit, sausage McMuffin, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Any two for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Welcome to Talk Murder to Me. Hello. Tonight, we have a taco special for you. Happy birthday, Wayne. Yes, happy birthday, Wayne, and we're so glad that you got your taco swag in time for your birthday, and we were your first birthday present. Woo! Yay. Also tonight, we need to give away $100. Dollar dollar bills, y'all. So, Nicole, pick a winner for us. Okay, so we've had um, quite a few awesome reviews, Mm -hmm. and it came down to, like, three really, really, really amazing reviews. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was someone that said, like, we, you know, what was the one that... Somebody said that it was a couple that they actually conceived their child to us. (laughs) That's weird. But that's, you know, whatever you do you. Um (laughs) <laughs> this podcast is the reason my wife and I decided to have a baby, adopt a dog, build a home in New Mexico, and support the Ronald Reagan re-election campaign. <laughs> <laughs> We're so glad. Um, most co- podcasts out there blow like whales in the water, but this one makes me all warm inside like mama's fresh baked bread. Wow, these are some really good ones. Okay, so I think we're going to have to say the winner of this $100 Amazon gift card is Cree Cree Mickey. Cree Cree Mickey. Cree Cree, contact me at John, J-O-N, at com, and I will send your link for the Amazon gift card. I think it's just digital nowadays, so I can just send you a code. And you can take that $100 and do whatever you want with it, Mm -hmm. as long as it's on Amazon. But you can buy a gift card to somewhere else. You could probably actually use it at Whole Foods, too. Yeah. Thank you all so much for supporting us and getting our first. Now we're well over 100. Now we're well over 100, on the way to 200. So I'm throwing out another challenge, even though it's not quite original. When we hit 200 reviews... 200 reviews, which were, so make sure you go and leave us a five-star review tonight and make sure it's good, long, and you have my name in there somewhere. (laughs) And we will give you the winner, once we hit 200, a $200 Amazon gift card. How about that? Wow. (laughs) You can either take it in an Amazon gift card or $200 in crinkled up ones. That I will ship to you in a discreet package. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't know. Uh, That's a hard choice. That's weird. Are you going to disinfect the dollar bills? Tonight we are doing a special episode for our Talkers Primo and one of our most frequent commenters on the forum, Karina. Woo, Karina. And her story, hey, John, seeing as you're doing a new segment each week dedicated to hometown murders, I decided to do some digging around murders in Connecticut. Anyone want to guess what this murder is? Yes. What? No. The top (laughs) hit was Cheshire. Yes, Cheshire. Cheshire, Cheshire, Connecticut, home invasion murder. I haven't heard the story, so hopefully you'll be able to educate me about it. Well, I sure will, Karina, because it's a very compelling story. And then Kara actually comments, I agree with you, Karina. This would be a great one to cover. It also happened... The next town over, over from, from where Jen and I went to college. Yeah, so there were there's a mom and two daughters, I think, and uh, the father was not home, and someone broke into their house and killed the mother and daughters, and then set the house on fire. Ooh, if I remember correctly. Nicole, can you tell us where Connecticut is? Connecticut is a New England state that is south of Massachusetts, where I'm from. Fun fact, um, but it is. In between Rhode Island, New York, and Massachusetts. Thank you. That is Nicole Laporte, our third place Geography B winner. Thank you. Thank you. So Cheshire, Connecticut is, just give you a run through of this city. It's kind of a smaller community. It's about 33 miles long, about 29,000 people. Now it's the bedding plant, which is the actual, I don't know anything about gardening, but the bedding plant is something to do with gardening. Like you put it, it's like a shrub. Hmm. It's the bedding plant capital of Connecticut. Interesting. It was once a farm community, but now it's more residential. And more importantly, it's the childhood home of James Vanderbeek from Dawson's Creek. Oh. Because, yeah. You guys he's, still, he's still acting and doing things, possibly. Yeah. And also, it is... Where where J.P. Morgan attended the Episcopal Academy in Cheshire. Hmm. So July 23rd, 2007 at 9.30 a.m. And we are in the Bank of America. And there's a blonde woman that walks into the teller, up to the teller, and she's kind of shaking a little bit. And I'll show you a video of this. But there's something not right about her. She's very frightened from what the teller says. She requests to withdraw $15,000 in cash, but she also slides over a note, a handwritten note that says, said something to the effect of, I need this money because my family is being held hostage at home. They're threatening to kill all of us unless I get this money. As soon as she gives... The handwritten note, I mean, obviously the teller is in shock. She contacts Mary Lyons, which is the Bank of America's branch manager, notifies her immediately. And Mm. she, Mary Lyons is freaking out. Okay. She takes the note. She runs back into her office and she immediately dials 911. And we're going to hear that 911 call later here. So why does she slip a note versus say something? Does Are they following her? She tells the teller that... The man who is holding them hostage, one of them, there's two of them, one of them is actually in the car waiting for her to get out of the bank. Gotcha. Okay. He drove her to the bank 
as soon as they opened. Her name is Jennifer Hawk Pettit. Now, the, the family is the Pettits, P-E-T-I-T. Her name is, what do you call it when you have... Hyphenated? Yeah, so you, what is it like? You you marry someone, but you keep your own last name, too? Or yeah, how yeah. Does that work? It's like you make your last name your middle name, but yeah, you, yeah. you decide to use it with... Use both all the time. Yeah, so I guess that's her middle name or her last name. It's it's part of her last name. Yeah, so she's made it part of her. So last her name. name is, and we'll call her Jennifer from now on. Jennifer Hawk Pettit. This is the Pettit family we're talking about. The nine one one dispatcher looks up the address and everything else. Dispatches the police, obviously, to the woman's residence. But Jennifer and the guy that's holding her hostage was already at the residence by the time the cops even pulled up. Now, as soon as the police arrive, they start setting up a perimeter. Now, this is going to become very important here in just a second. It's a four-bedroom home. The location is 300 Sorghum Mill Drive. That's S-O-R-G-H-U-M Mill Drive. The father, William Pettit, Dr. William Pettit, is an endocrinologist. So... Mm -hmm. And she, Jennifer, is a nurse. That's how they met. The police are outside. Now, police hear some screams from inside the house. Oh. All right. Out of nowhere, the house is engulfed in flames. Oh, goodness. While the police are still Whoa. there. Many of the police officers, after the fact, claim to hear screams from inside the house. Now, this is also going to become important because the police were estimated to be there from the 911 call the dispatch log and everything else the police were on the scene for at least 24 minutes if not longer hmm. they were there before the fire broke out they heard the screams there was a cellar door which we don't have these in the south this must be a north thing i i've like never seen one oh, of these bulkhead yeah is that a northern thing? Yeah. Well, um, they have them a lot too in the Midwest with the tornadoes. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah they have. Um, my house didn't have it up north, but my grandparents' house in Super New Hampshire does. We have one. So the house is on fire right now, and the cops are kind of standing back, and they're hearing screaming from inside. And all of a sudden, if things can't get any more crazier in this story, a champagne-colored SUV Lexus comes roaring out of the driveway. Now, this is the Lexus. It eventually crashed. Hmm. The SUV skids out. It goes a block or two down the street, and it actually rams right in front of a cop car. Oh, so this, the damage. Yeah. I mean, the front of that police car is just completely crushed. Mm. Mm -hmm. the, like, all the way to the windshield. Yeah, the bumper is like, it's like an accordion. Yeah. Yeah, so you can see that the champagne-colored Lexus, or maybe silver-colored, I'm not really sure. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a, kind of like gold, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a front-end collision with the police car there. And that police car, police cars are not made flimsy. Right. I mean, those things are are pretty well yeah, reinforced. It's clear that it was know. a high-speed high impact. Yeah, I mean, they, there's all kinds of, like that car, to fold up like that, they must have been going a crazy amount of speed. So after all the craziness, the fire and everything else, a male, what appears to be a male, which is restrained by his arms, escapes from the cellar door. 
So he actually opens the door. Now, this is when the house is on fire. So he's actually escaping the fire in the house. Oh, my gosh. And the door shuts, and he's running. You know, I, I can imagine he's he can't see anything. He's kind of, like, rolling on the ground. Not like he's on fire, but, you know, he just trips or something. Mm-hmm. He's, he's bound up. Mm-hmm. There's blood all over his face. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Completely covered in blood. The father, William Pettit, the doctor... Dr. William Pettit stumbles out the cellar door, trips over everything. He barely escapes the fire. There's mm-hmm. blood all over his face. And eventually, once police figure out what has happened to him, like, why is he even in this situation? He's a survivor of this whole thing. But he was initially bashed in the head with a baseball bat. And the picture you're seeing him right now is Oof. the scar on his head. Not the scar. Ooh. the the, the stitches, yikes! Yeah, so his head was completely cut open, mm. completely open, like separated. Oof, yeah. And he comes running out of the house, makes a narrow escape. Luckily, the cellar door was unlocked. Do you lock those things from the inside or outside? Inside. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, luckily he he was able to get out unharmed. Now. There were two men that got arrested. They were making a getaway, and that's that Lexus, which the Lexus belonged to Jennifer. So they stole her car and crashed it. They were apprehended immediately. Took place this morning here in the town of Cheshire, uh, shortly after 9.30 this morning. First of all, I need to stress to you that this case is ongoing. As we speak, and there are many areas which we still are not will not be able to discuss or give details on as we anticipate uh, charges to be filed. The facts are as follows. This morning, shortly after 9.30, a suspicious incident took place at the Bank of America, which is located in Maplecroft Plaza here in the town of Cheshire. The employees of the Bank of America felt an incident was suspicious enough where they contacted Cheshire Police Department and advised them of the suspicious incident. Immediately, Cheshire dispatched officers to the area of the bank and to the area of the victim's residence in an attempt and an effort to intercept the vehicle involved in the suspicious behavior that took place in the bank. Several police officers responded to the area of the bank as well as to the area of the victim's residence. Jesus, what are they Upon doing? Upon arrival the at the victim's still. residence, God. the Jesus. first officer observed two male subjects exit private residence, and also observed the private residence fully engulfed in flame. The first responding officer attempted to... Okay. The screams that were heard from inside the house, it was a family of four. Now, the screams were from the two daughters, one 17-year-old, one 11-year-old. Haley was a 17-year-old. Michaela was the 11-year-old. They were screaming inside the house. Yeah, they were outside for 24 minutes. There's a two-hour HBO special on this case. I think it's just called Cheshire Murders. I'll put a link to it on the uh, Talk Murder page. You can find it on YouTube. But the police get a lot of shit for this. Yeah. Okay, they were there for 24 minutes. Some reports... From some officers say that they heard screaming from inside the house. Is it possible that they simply were preparing for a hostage situation in the house? 
Okay. Yeah. Because that's what I was thinking at first. Because assessing the situation, getting everybody in position. Exactly. Because they think it's going to be a hostage situation in the house. Now, I didn't even come to think of that until I actually read an article with that. I I do want to say when William, the survivor, the father, escapes out of the cellar door, he supposedly, even in his days in confused state, sees men, several men standing in the bushes, which cops? were cops. Yeah. Okay. So there there were plenty of cops around. They just didn't go inside. They just did not go inside, even though they heard the screaming of the two girls and the house was on fire. Mm-hmm. So what kind of hostage situation are you going to conduct with a house that's I in mean, flames? I'm just, just saying. I, I mean, I would get if they like knew that they had super heavy machine or machine guns or something like you know what i mean there's nothing that would make you think oh my god our entire police force is going to be at risk against two guys you know i feel like there's something if that was the case there would have to be something that makes them feel like they're going to be at a disadvantage do you know what i'm trying to say yeah here's the thing about this even to this day the police, the Cheshire police, have not sat down to answer questions for Jennifer, that one of the victim's sisters. Her sister has asked repeatedly, as well as, you know, the whole family, have asked repeatedly for police to sit down and try to explain what happened this day. Mm-hmm. And in fact, this article I'm reading right now is from the, the Hartford Current, dated July 23rd, 2013. Now, this event happened in 2007. The police just now released the phone calls the morning of this home invasion. Wow. It's one thing to screw up, but it's another thing to try to hide it, especially from the family. The family deserves to know exactly what happened. Totally. Every phone call that's made, every text that's sent, that really pissed me off. And the HBO documentary is what I really think drug all this out because the HBO documentary came out. People were criticizing the way they handled this because it was not very good how they handled it. Well, I remember all throughout like college, every so often we would hear news stories about the the, the case because it happened right next door. So Hmm. um, there was always something going on with it. I just can't say enough uh, good things about how proud I am of the extraordinary effort of our police officers and our firefighters. Mm. Um, They're extremely well-trained. They're a great group of professionals, and I think today exemplified um, the finest of of what the police and fire are all about in this community. And I can't thank them enough because without their great work, um, this could have been a far worse tragedy. Uh, We were very, very fortunate. Okay, so that is... It couldn't have been much worse than that, though, it seems, because everyone but the dad died, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so that is the town manager of Cheshire, Michael Malone. Yeah, like he said, oh, I want to give praise to the law enforcement and the firemen. You have three dead girls in that house, okay? And he was like, this could have went a lot worse. How in the shit could this get any worse, yeah. man? This is a actually... Just include the dad dying. That's the only this thing is that makes a worse. freaking hard... Yeah, exactly. There could have been a lot more casualties. What, like the police all died? Who cares? There's gir- there's an 11-year-old girl that is burned alive in there. Mm-hmm. 
So for him to come out and give praise to these police and then not give up any of the things like the phone call records, the dispatch log, anything is just like kicking the family right in the fucking face. Agreed. You know, I this made me sick. It's one thing to screw up, which I think they screwed up royally. It's another thing to say, oh, no, that's all. That's you don't need to see that. That's all. Uh, evidence that's restricted for police like no man like you need to come forth and number one don't make a press conference giving praise to the firefighters and the police because in one of the the hbo documentaries one of the the video clippets that they keep playing is you'll see these it's like a mix of police and um chesar police and uh, the firefighters, they're actually setting up a tent outside, like a little overhead tent because it's raining. You have three dead girls in the house. There's an 11-year-old burned completely, and you're out here setting up a tent? Why? Because you're getting a little wet? And then you come out and say, oh, we did such an awesome job. Mm. I'm sorry. It made me sick. This whole case makes me sick. So what happened? All right. Some believe that the police were just too scared to act. They hear screams. It was a, it's like a town where nothing else happened. Exactly. And that was another, uh, a lot of people believe, yes, yeah, such a small town. This never happens. They never had training for this. Yeah, that makes sense. But put yourself in this situation. You know it's not a hostage situation anymore when the house is on fire. But then you hear screams from a, a couple girls inside. What, are you just going to sit there and let that shit burn? That's what happened. God. That's exactly what happened. Were they just thinking the screams were because they were being tortured instead of the fire? Like, you know, I, a lot of this case. But there were firefighters there too. Like, they didn't. The firefighters got there after the police. The police were there for 24 minutes. And then the guys tried to make an escape. So they already made the getaway and the police still don't go inside. Yeah, that's correct. I would almost, like, that's. To make that clarification is like, wait, what? They after they escaped, they made heart possibly no attempt or very feeble attempt to go inside. Jennifer's sister, Cindy Wren, on the HBO on the HBO documentary, the sister Cindy Wren talked openly about this whole operation and she was criticizing law enforcement and i i kind of agree with her so a lot of this Uh case i actually looked in because they finally did release all the phone records and stuff like that so i kind of wanted to see you know what the deal was with that before we even talk about the murder number one the survivor william the dad escapes and he sees the cops in the wooded area according to the hartford current police lieutenant james Fasano, who was dispatched to the bank to interview the employees, actually doubted the validity of the mom's account when she got there. Now, I can kind of see that. Someone comes in requesting a large sum of money, says, you know, you got to give me this right now because my family's tied up at home. I kind of understand that to an extent. Mm -hmm. But even if you doubt it, you still need to react like it was true. Okay. There's about nine calls that happened to the dispatch that morning of this whole incident. And that was one of them was Lieutenant 
Faziano doubting the validity of the whole story. Another call came in from the from an actual hostage negotiator. His name was Eric Granath. He was one of three of Cheshire's hostage hostage negotiators, which is kind of crazy. I didn't know they had that many. I mean, I, I wonder how many Mount Pleasant yeah. has. Now, he actually called into the dispatch and he inquired whether or not he was needed to come in because he actually got a page. You know, this is still when we had pagers. Mm. And it told him, you know, there's a hostage situation. So he calls in and, quote, I need to know whether you want me in or not. I am the hostage negotiator and I got paged, end quote. He is then told, quote, not at this time, and then is hung up on. Shortly after his call, the dispatcher receives yet another call from a guy named Kerry Nastry, a member of the SWAT team. Quote, Brian and I are on West Johnson and we want to know whether we should come in and start suiting up. And then mm-hmm. he is told, Quote, we will call you if we need you. So what kind of hostage situation is this? Are are they going to do it? Or are they not? Are they going to set up a hostage situation? Or are they not? Mm. Are they just going to let these girls burn alive? The police have never came out to this day and said what they were thinking. The tactics, they never even talked to the family. It's like this big secret, big conspiracy, which kind of really pisses me off, to, to be honest. But one of the calls that came in said this was from Chief Joseph Popovich, which was the deputy chief at the time. Quote, what I want to do is set up a perimeter, a better perimeter. As soon as everyone is geared up, then what we are going to wind up doing is, and then he stops, we're going to have to make contact. Now, they actually got two phone numbers inside the house. One of the the mothers, Jennifer's, cell phone and then one of the daughter's cell phone. So he says, quote, hopefully those are good numbers so we can start with those. Now, he is obviously thinking there's a hostage situation. The cops have been there. But at what point does a hostage situation turn into the house is fucking burning and there's girls screaming inside? Maybe this isn't really a hostage situation at all. Maybe we should just get these girls out. When the guys fucking leave, when they're no longer holding somebody hostage. You know? And these guys are setting up a fucking tent because it's raining. Mm. All right. Yeah, it makes you mad, I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fucked. That's really fucked. Inside the home were three victims. Jennifer Hulk Pettit, which was the nurse, which was the one that I showed you on the video at the bank. Haley, which was 17. Now, I want to say Jennifer Pettit, the mother, suffered from multiple sclerosis. This is a really good family, by the way. Haley, a 17-year-old recent graduate, was actually leading an active fundraiser. She was the head of it for MS Research, for multiple sclerosis research. And all the interviews from her classmates, they're breaking down, crying. Like No one even knew that she was leading this multiple sclerosis campaign and had raised like $50,000. No one even knew it. You know why? Because she was so humble that she didn't tell anyone i mean this is a a very good family michaela 11 years old william pettit the survivor narrowly escapes when he's in the hospital with his head split wide open he can probably barely even function even know where he's at he's apologizing to 
Jennifer's parents saying, I'm so sorry, I, I should have saved her, all this stuff. And they were like, you are in no position at all. Number one, I would tell you, because he was sleeping when he got hit with a baseball bat. He he had no chance at all. I mean, they were just glad that he got out. Yeah. You know. I can't even oh. begin to imagine the amount of guilt that he felt, though. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Felt, yeah. He has never, he has not practiced medicine since this incident. Now, he does, yeah. he does lead a foundation, which, you know, definitely, in case anyone wants to donate to his foundation, I'll uh, talk about that later. Let's go over kind of the timeline. So the two guys, and I, I know I'm going to pronounce one of this guy's name wrong. He's got such a weird name. This is Joshua Komasajewski. So he tells the whole story from July 22nd, a day earlier in 2007. Now, this is around 6 p.m. Now, this is coming from the testimony he gave, which we'll hear audio from, to the detective. On July 22nd, 2007, Joshua Komasajewski, whatever his name is, goes to the Stop and Shop in Cheshire. Now, he goes there to meet a contractor because he was wanting to receive a to receive a payment. So he's out there waiting on a contractor. Now, according to him, he notices Jennifer, the victim, and her 11-year-old daughter, which is fucking sick, and he decides to follow them home. So the contractor they go yeah. into stop and shop literally to get like toilet paper and I think something else, like some some small little thing, just a routine visit. Mm-hmm. They were in the grocery store no longer than ten minutes. They came out. The contractor had met him, I guess, in the parking lot, stop and shop. They did the payment, whatever, mm-hmm. and then around the same time, he sees Jennifer and her daughter, the eleven year old drive off in the Lexus, and he decides, I'm going to follow follow them. Hmm. At that uh, that point, I had, uh, well, what time? Uh, So six o'clock-ish or so. In the evening? In the evening. I had, uh, I was waiting for a contractor uh, to make payment. And uh, while waiting, I saw a mother and a daughter walk into a to uh, the stop and shop. And uh, noticed that they were driving a very nice vehicle. And didn't really think much of it at the time. Um, it was the contractor had shown up, and uh, we were discussing business and, and making payment. Uh, at which point, uh, about 15 minutes later, the mother came back out uh, with the daughter and tried in their car um, as the contractor was also driving off um, where we had completed our transaction. Um, for whatever reason, I chose to follow the mom and the daughter um, to their house and saw that they lived in a very nice house, um, very nice car. Thought it'd be nice to be there someday. Not have to worry about financial problems and stress and all that. Not have to worry about financial stress. So I'm just going to follow this mother and her 11 year old daughter back to their home because I thought it'd be nice. I don't have to worry about financial stress one day. Anyway, 
Now, during this entire day, well, you got a question. You guys, I was almost like, is he p- trying to picture them in their life? Like he's the husband and the dad, or he's like into them both. I just I, like I. I interpreted it as like he followed them home because he wanted to see what it would be like, what their living situation was like since they had a nice car. And then when he got there, he was like, man, I wish I had this. During the entire day of July 22nd, he was texting his friend, uh, Stephen Hayes. Now, they actually met in a halfway house. Stephen Hayes is a 44-year-old crack addict that lives oh. with his mother. Oh. Ma! Where's All the right. meatloaf? He follows the family home, and he's texting. Now, Stephen Komasarjinsky... Damn, I almost had that time. Stephen... Or... Joshua Komasarjivsky, Joshua actually has a child that he, that's what he's saying, I'm putting Uh, the child to bed. He's texting, they're texting each other at night on the night of this. Now, that is Stephen Hay saying, I I really want to go do this. Because for the past month or whatever, they've been trying, discussing ways they can make some quick cash. Stephen Hayes as well as Joshua both have a lengthy rap sheet. And they're both drug addicts? Stephen Hayes is more of a drug addict than Joshua, but I'm pretty sure they both do drugs. Mm -hmm. I I was just curious if that's what their motivation for the cash was. Well, Stephen Hayes, he's got 18 uh, burglary arrests so far. Oh, he just does this a lot. Yeah, and so does Joshua, about the same number. Now, Mm. Stephen would actually see your nice car pulling into a nice trail to go for a walk. Maybe it's your lunch break. And walk around mm-hmm. the trail. Yeah. And then he'd wait there till you leave and then break in your car and steal your shit. See, I wonder if he would ever, because there was a trail by um, one of the campuses that, um, that Quinnipiac had, like where the upperclassmen live, York Hill. There's like a, there's like a trail. Oh, you so think I, he was there? I wonder if he yeah, maybe. would like go target that parking lot over yeah. there by that trail. Mm. Definitely possible. Well, that was what he liked to do. Um, but that money wasn't really fast enough from what they were trying to say. Now, they they had bounced a few ideas. They were actually thinking about robbing people as they come out of the stores and stuff like that. Mm. But, you know, it's not really going to give them the big payout they were wanting. Right, because working, you know, like every other person is just, you know. Too much. They're They're above it. So they met at a halfway home because they're both drug addicts. And they basically met in an AA program. Apparently, Stephen Hayes was really gung-ho on quitting his crack addiction. But like a month before this, he locks himself in a hotel room and he buys so much. I think it's crack or heroin, one or the other. He does so much heroin and crack that he actually tries to kill himself. Hmm. And, you know, I fucking wish he did. Did it say which hotel? Was it the Days In? Because that one was really sketchy. No, I'm serious. We know the, about some Days In yeah. being sketchy. Days In be sketch. No, like the sketch. <laughs> the, it was so sketchy. It was right across the street from the Mark, Mount Carmel campus, and it was like, it was just like the sketchiest place. Did we tell you about the Days In? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was like, I mean, you could smell pot. Yeah. So people, you'd walk, property. and like people had their doors open and sitting there with their in their undies. And we Sounds walked like into the, place the room. I lived in for a couple there was of weeks. this weird stain on the chair. I was like, I, Audi. I felt so disgusted even sitting on the bed that I literally we we left the days in, and 
I got on Priceline because Priceline is fucking amazing. Yeah, with the hidden the Priceline. Yeah, so yeah. if you don't, so price how Priceline works, you can save sixty percent, but you just pick the hotel by the star rating. Right. So it's like four stars, yeah. but you, you don't know the hotel name. Right. So we did that for ninety five dollars. We got a four star hotel. That's awesome. And That's as nice. soon as soon as I got there, I was like trying to wash off. Yeah, I felt like spiders were crawling all Ew. over me. Just in my mind, it was just like, ah, get it all off because yeah, I felt, felt like so I smelled, like, disgusted. Place. It smelled really weird. I think I smelled really weird coming. It was so disgusting Ugh. that day's in. And then Nicole, like, they actually charged us twice. And <gasps> yeah, like I had you to call said, them today. you called them and you're like, number one, your hotel is a sleaze hole. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, first of all, we didn't pay for the hotel. It was paid for before we arrived. It's paid by this organization. They sent me the confirmation number. I have proof like it where it says like, thanks for paying, you know, and it showed the dollar yeah. amount that they paid. And so when we went there, the lady didn't really speak English and she made it seem like it was a, like we were like it's you know, most hotels make you. They will charge you like fifty bucks, and then they'll reimburse you for it as long as oh, you crap, like don't damage the room. They charged me for that conference hotel. Don't let, I have to call the hotel? See, there you go. So days in? No, the yeah. Westin. So they then, me oh, though. Westin's nice, isn't it? Yeah, but I would. I was. It was paid for by the conference. Oh and yeah, they charged yeah. me for a night. I need to. Call yeah, but they should. Yeah. They should. That's incidentals. If if you didn't break anything, they should credit it back. No, they charge Jen for a night when they shouldn't. Have. Oh, for a whole night. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. So, so anyway, so I I was monitoring this hundred you know sixteen dollars, and I was like, well, I thought it was only going to be like a fifty dollar incidental or whatever, and I it's, it's still there. So then I called, and they're like, oh, well, we don't you if you reserve online, you you can't, you don't pay online. So I was like, well, why, why do I have a confirmation that says thanks for paying or whatever? It's like, well, our hotel doesn't allow that. You only pay when you get there. So I'm like, all right, well, I wouldn't have come to your fucking hotel had I even known because we walked in and we knew it was going to be gross. We didn't even stay there because your hotel is so disgusting. So I have it verification. Was I was like, I have a confirmation code. What do you need? He's like, well, we need verification from, you know, the other people. So if you can get their credit card authorization. I was like, all right, fine. So, I so would have slept in my damn paid. car. We were. I was going to sleep in my car if I had to sleep there. I would. That place was gross. That it was one hundred sixteen dollars. Priceline ninety five dollars. We got a four star hotel. That was really nice. I mean, the view alone of uh, uh, Miami, Orlando, Orlando was worth it. You know, I mean, like one of the top floors. You know, we'll do that again. When we have to go back, but like that was stupid. There are so many reasons not to skip breakfast. So many savory, mouth-watering, tasty, delicious beyond all belief reasons. Actually, that last one was pretty convincing. Stop by for a McDonald's breakfast. Mix and match a sausage biscuit, sausage McMuffin, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Any two for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. How does shit we get talk about this? Because you said the guy went to a hotel. I wasn't sure if it was like in a report. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anywho. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, so Stephen Hayes actually locked himself in a hotel room and tried to crack himself to death with crack. And mm. unfortunately for the world, 
He's still fucking breathing. I want to say, I'm going to get more into their past. Now, you guys can ask as much questions as you want about these two and their past histories. Joshua Komasarjevsky. Ooh, that's the first time I said it right. Good job. Komasar, y'all say it. Komasarjevsky. Yeah, that's good. Komasarjevsky. Joshua Komasarjevsky actually was adopted. That may come into play. Because remember, what was the story we had that... um it's like twenty percent of inmates are adopted. No, it wasn't ad- adopted. It was in the foster. Yeah, it's system. the same thing. No, foster. not necessarily. Adopted children are f- permanently in homes with m- someone they c- should be calling mom and dad. Mm. Fosters are when people receive government assistance for taking on multiple children they may or may not do yeah the kids are temporarily placed it could become permanent but all right so here's what happened that same night like a halfway house for kids yeah like you know remember you know how you can foster dogs but you're so that you won't because you would get attached to them so it's july (laughs) (laughs) no i'm just saying that's what the foster means all right so july 22nd 2007 he's already followed the family home and now him and his buddy Steve, this is coming from Josh, him and his buddy Steve are going to meet up. They're going to figure out something. And now they rode around for a long time. They actually first met at a bar. Then they rode around for quite a while trying to figure out how to make some money real quick. Obviously, illegally. What's that? That's normal to just do that with someone you just met. Well, they, they'd known each other for a few months. No, you said when they first met, they did that. No, no, no. Oh, that uh, night on July 22nd oh, okay, when sorry. they met up, they decide to go to the Pettit house, and it's dark outside. They both have masks, so face mask on, black, you know, mask, ski mask, gloves on. Hayes actually went to the local Walmart, bought a pellet gun, you know, those pellet guns that look like real guns. Now, they walked down the sidewalk to the house. They actually parked Joshua's van not like a van like we got but like a like one of those little family minivans like yeah a honda odyssey type thing kia sorrento no way Grand. too nice i'm thinking like oh crappy van like a ford windstar yeah <laughs> yeah they parked his maroon colored ford windstar i think it was maroon colored part is for maroon colored ford windstar down the street <laughs> shit we got fans of the windstars well that's what we used to have <laughs> Grand Caravan. we had a ford windstar yeah i remember the like, last one was I remember red my grandma got the uh blue one and this is right when the doors were automatic yeah and like no one's ever cool seen one. that before and like the your arm just popped out that was really weird it's like are you double jointed i don't know i might be that was like really weird <laughs> You remind, me of the, you remind me of you No, do your that? arm, like, it reminded me of that girl from The Grudge. Anyway, the girl that came out the TV. What if I'm turning into a monster? <laughs> Guys, what if I'm turning into, like, some, like, creature? Yeah, well, fuck that. That's how I lock my doors at night. <laughs> I want to attack you. Yeah, all right. Well, maybe you don't know. All right. So, yeah, so anyway, my grandma got the um, the van with the doors that... You know, we were the first one in our community to have <laughs> the van <laughs> with the doors door. that automatically. We actually were too. We got the Honda Odyssey. They were the automatic doors. I mean, I you know we were first. Though. John, but John well, was yeah, the were, f- obviously. But I meant like yeah, yeah. He was the first for everything. Got it. Yeah. 
So they walk down the sidewalk to the house. There's the house. Mm. Can you describe the house? It's um, it's a two-storied house. It's a colonial. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It's the type of house, like the way that it's built. Oh, I know that, but like, well, what's the difference between a Tudor, a Tudor, and a colonial? The inside architecture. The, and the Tudor usually has brick on the outside. Colonial oh. can be brick, but it's like the way that the, like the way that the roof is structured, mm-hmm. like the the pitch of the roof. Things like that. Mm-hmm. So they actually had time to take photos of the Burden House while there's two girls in there screaming. There's plenty of photos of it not even burning yet. It's just smoking. So the two guys walk around. Now they see the father sleeping in the sunroom. They, they know they got to take him out first from what they say. They're not going to kill anyone. They're just going to, you know, knock him out with whatever they can find. They don't have anything. You know, maybe they have a pellet gun. Maybe they're going to hold people. You know, they don't have a plan. These guys don't have a plan. Mm. They're a bunch of losers. So anyway, they go around. They check all the windows. Nothing's open. But the cellar door was unlocked. The cellar door leads down to the basement. The basement leads to the sunroom. Joshua actually goes in the cellar door. And on the steps, there's a baseball bat. So he picks it up. Now, he says he stands behind William for quite a while, for about two minutes. That's a trying long to just, time. Yeah. Th- trying to think about things or whatever. Now, his partner in crime's outside waiting for him to bash the father and then let him in the, the side door. Finally, he got up the nerve and he... Reaches that baseball bat back, and he slams it right down on the father's head. I mean, you saw the, you saw yeah. the picture, man. His skull is cracked open. The he's f- lucky he's alive. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So this is what this is from the interview from Joshua. This is what he says about that incident. Did you strike? Okay. And can I tell us where and how many times you struck this man? Uh, I hit him in the head with a baseball bat. He let off this, this unworthy scream. I couldn't take the scream. But I've never hit anybody in the head with no, it did anything. You know, find a baseball bat. And, uh, I just kept hitting on him until he finally packed up the corner of the couch and, and quieted down. He was just staring at me with wide open eyes. Just sheer confusion. He slams the bat down on the father. Now the father backs up into the couch because, like he said, sheer confusion. Looking at him with those wide eyes like, what the fuck is going on? I mean, he just got nailed in the head with a baseball bat. Joshua goes over and because he hears tapping, tip, tap, 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 on the side glass door, lets his accomplice in, Stephen, and then they both tie the father up to this pole. That's in the basement. You see the bloody pole? Mm. So they tie him up there. Now they're going upstairs because they got three more people to tie up. And th- th- you said this is at night? Yeah, this is uh, this is probably right now, probably around 2 a.m. Hmm. Yeah, around 2 a.m. 
Now, so they go upstairs and they know the daughters have their own separate bedrooms. They pass the older daughter's room. They say they're coming back to her. They note to themselves, all right, we're going to come back here. They go to the mother's room and they notice the 11-year-old daughter is, they're like sleeping in the same bed. Uh, Stephen goes over to the mother, puts his hand on her mouth and is basically like, you know, shakes her awake and says, you know, this is a robbery. I'm not going to hurt you, all this stuff. And then Joshua does the same thing with the younger 11-year-old daughter. Eventually, they tied all the girls up to the bedpost. At first, they just tied their hands, and they actually went back and tied everyone up to be restrained to something, to an object. They got the mother and the two daughters tied up at this point. The mother is in the same room in the master bedroom with the 11-year-old Michaela. Dad's still downstairs tied to the pole. The oldest daughter is tied up in her room. They proceed to go through the entire house and do their mission, which is to look for valuables, money, and anything like maybe a nice watch or earrings or whatever. Now, they don't find anything worth of value. They don't find hardly any money, probably a little bit of money, but they did come across a check registry with over $40,000 in the account. So... You can see where this is going. The whole time they're doing this robbery, these guys are bickering with with each other back and forth. Like in the morning, Stephen Hayes walks frantically in front of the house, uh, downstairs in front of the windows, and there's no blinds on the windows. You know, stuff like that. Like he takes off his mask. He takes off his gloves. Like they're bickering back and forth on who should do what. Mm. You know, they're like not not very prepared. They're not prepared at all. Anyway, they decide that here's what they're going to do. They're going to take the mother to the bank, the Bank of America in Cheshire, in the morning. As soon as it opens, she's going to pull out fifteen thousand dollars because that is like a not as suspicious as pulling the whole forty out. They think they can get away with that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think if you pull out over 10000 they they, I don't think you can pull out. I mean, you can pull out as much as you want, but they notify the IRS, right, or something, if you pull out $10,000. Um, I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't know. I'll let you know when, when I have $10,000 to pull out of a bank <laughs> yeah, account. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Now, at this time, when they decide to take her to the bank, you know, it's 4 a.m. in the morning. They're like, all right, let's just... Waited out a few hours. Now, they're actually... Because otherwise, like, what the heck were they planning to do once they got into the house? But If they didn't find that checkbook. Like, what the fuck were they planning on doing? You know? They just thought... This is what they thought. They thought there oh, was going to be a nice bunch of valuables? Yeah, they just think, oh, that's a nice house. They must have thousands of dollars just laying around. And that's not how it fucking works. Nope. Like, nope. You know what I'm saying? Just because you have a big-ass nice house doesn't mean you have gold coins scattered it's not like you're screwed with these fucking gold coins yeah that's weird stupid criminals they're actually comforting the family the entire time they're asking the dad what time do you got to go to work he's talking about he's got all these things appointments the mother saying she's got to be at work at so and so so they're giving the impression like these this will all be over it's all gonna be over Mm -hmm. we're gonna get this 15 grand and then we're gonna be out all good so the mother was actually I mean, no one's okay with it, but mm. she was actually, okay, I'll do this. You know, I'll get the money. That's yeah. why you saw her in the bank. She wasn't like, alert the 
cops alert the press because she knows that the family's still tied up and the, and things can go very badly in a second. So she was trying to play along because she actually thought that at the end of the day they were just going to take fifteen thousand and the Walk cops away. would worry with them later. Right? Yeah. Do you think uh, you can say tell me I can I should ask this later? But do you think they went in to this anticipating that they were going to kill them? Or something did just go horribly wrong, like when she called the police. I don't. I don't think they went in with the intention of killing everyone. But I'll tell you exactly why here in a second. Okay. But yeah, that's a good question. She gets to the bank. The nine one one calls made, and then we start at the beginning of my story again, right? So that's that's what happened. Right. Joshua ends up moving the eleven year old daughter back to her own bedroom to further separate the family members so they won't get any funny ideas or whatever at this point all the family members actually have their faces covered with pillowcases they took pillowcases pillowcases off the pillows and put them on the family's all the you know the face Mm -hmm. while stephen hayes is at the bank during this time because it takes a little bit something else goes on at the house Okay, so KK, uh, obviously she told you her nickname or whatever is KK or you? KK is Michaela. Now she's it's, the eleven-year-old. Yes, she's the eleven-year-old. Oh, wow. Now in the HBO documentary, the family, the Spriving family, is infurious that this piece of shit uses KK. Her name is Michaela. KK is kind of like the family name, you know, kind of like the, the nickname. nickname yeah. yeah, so it's. It's um what is the word they use? It's a uh it's a family and endearment term. Mm-hmm. So we won't actually even use KK cuz I think that's disrespectful. So Michaela is the same as KK when she, when he says KK. Okay. The 11-year-old. No, that's the name that both her sister and her mother um, refer to her as. Okay. You're talking to KK about just general things? School and summer plans and stuff like that. Or whatever summer plans. I would say not mine. Is this, which one is this, Joshua? Yeah. No, one thing led to another. And, uh, one thing led to another. I ended up having, uh, performing oral sex on her. What? Like, so he performs oral sex on the 11 year old. Oh my god. He performed oral sex on KK? Okay, good. Did you do that while she was tied? Uh, yes. Was it against her will? Her, her hands were tied, but her feet weren't. Was it against her will, or is it something you talked her into? How did that go? Um. It started off as against her will, um, and like she wasn't like resisting or anything. So what a sick piece of crap! Yeah. And he is a—he's a father himself. Did she reciprocate to you? Uh, no. Um, I, after uh, about five minutes or so, um, she—I uh, let her get. Uh, dressed again, but before she did that, she uh, asked if she could take a shower uh, in the master bedroom shower, okay. uh, which I was fine with. Now, you said you let her get dressed again. How? How is it she came upon being undressed? Because you originally said she was dressed. Yeah, I had uh, I used a pair of scissors and I 
cut her, her shirt off and wear her skirt off. Was that for the purpose of having sex with her, or was there another reason you did that? For the purpose of having sex. Okay. That's disgusting. Okay, so uh, now let's go back to the grocery store when he spots Michaela, the 11 year old, and the mother. Mm-hmm. Now you see why he was he interested. He targeted her. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now it makes you sick to Kinda your fucking stomach. Kind of like the stomach. Jimmy Claus thing. Now yeah. it makes you really yeah, fucking yeah. sick to yeah. your stomach. Now her face the entire time is still covered with a pillowcase. He says at first he forcefully performed oral sex, but then, I mean, she's a fucking 11-year-old. Like, yeah. are you fucking kidding me? Like, I, I don't even know how to respond to that. All right, anyway. Uh, are you performing oral sex planners? Her, her face was still covered? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I had ejaculated on her stomach. That's why she wanted to take a shower. Okay, you ejaculated on her stomach. While you were performing oral sex no, after? after the fact. By what method? Uh, making Now... You got DNA everywhere. Now burning the house seems like a little more plausible, right? Anyway, hmm. Steve Hayes is still at the bank. Now, he actually pulls out the 15000 That's That actually happens. Here's a picture of Stephen Hayes buying $10 worth of gas at 7 a.m. So, if you were asking, did they have the intention to kill on these people... I think in the morning they did because he actually goes and buy gasoline to burn the house down. Okay, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll get. Oh wait, he didn't. Yeah, ten dollars. Ten dollars of the gas is not a lot. Yeah, ten, no, he actually took uh, two bottles that he found in the house, like gas canisters. Uh, yeah, like maybe like Tide bottles or something. And he took them to the gas station, filled them up, ten dollars gas, seven a.m. in the morning. At nine o'clock, the bank opens. So. They were definitely planning on killing this family, even though the entire time they were comforting them, saying, oh, we're about to be out of here. When you first just said he bought $10 worth of gas, I assumed it was he put $10 in the car. No, this is... No. Good. Okay, good. That's an important distinction. Yeah. Wow. So, so yeah, that shows clear intent a couple hours earlier. Yeah, he definitely bought it for one reason and one reason only. Now... He gets back from the bank. He's got the money. He walks in the door with Jennifer, and Jennifer, the mother, is about to get tied up again. Joshua takes her into the living room, ties her up. She has no idea he just did that to his her 11-year-old daughter. But she still thinks they're about to get out of here, like we're about mm-hmm. to get let go. As soon as Steve walks in the door, Joshua says, All right, we have a problem. This is what happened. Now you have to settle the score by killing the mother. Now they both blame each other for who is the bigger monster. Settle who gives the a score? shit? There's this, what, what do you mean? Basically, I just raped this eleven-year-old. Now you have to go kill and and kill the mother. You have to be what? worse than Why? I am. How does that make any sense? They, it, it's just exactly. yeah, fucking, I guess the whole point. Exactly. They, they wanted to. I don't know. You need to settle the score. You need to kill the mother. So he takes a while to get pumped up. That's what Joshua says in the interview. He's like walking around trying to talk himself up. Eventually, he goes into 
the living room. Now, the mother is tied to the love seat around maybe 20 minutes later. Now, this is after, I mean, the police are literally gearing up, going to be at their house real soon. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, this is like, yeah, the cops have already back, been called. They're back from the bank, yep. Exactly. And at this time, literally a couple minutes later, the cops actually get there because they actually see the cops outside before they start the fire. I want to point that out. Anyway. It's a big point. Yeah. So this is the timeline here is very close together. Joshua go runs back through the hall because he just hears the cellar door slam shut, oh, which means out. dad's out. They actually moved dad to the basement. But he wasn't restrained to anything else. He was just tied at the hands. He gets out. Now they got a problem because the dad's out. So Josh runs into the hall to where the living room area is to tell him. And by this time, the mother is supposed to be already strangled. Joshua had tied her up to the love seat. They actually converge in the hallway. And Joshua looks over Stephen's shoulder and sees the mother. She looks, she looks dead. And her pants are down past her ankles because, obviously, Stephen Hayes just raped her. Dad was the man. I yelled at the same time I jumped up, um, screaming to see that the father just took off. He has left and um, was racing uh, towards the room that he was in. And uh, he was then coming back towards me, and as we're converging on the, the basement door, um, I could see behind Steve that uh, the mother was um, laying lifelessly on the floor uh, with her head on the love seat, um, and her pants were down around her ankles. So she's, she's, in your opinion, lifeless. Her pants are down by her ankles, which they hadn't been at any time prior to this. Never, no. And did you check on her? Did you ask him what he did? No, because my primary concern at that point was the father taking off the basement door. What made you think she was lifeless? Um, her, her face was a deep, deep purple from the neck. Yeah, her face was deep, deep purple. Okay, so now the timeline, they got to get out of the house. So he takes the gas that he had previously got. Now the girls are still tied upstairs. And the 17-year-old isn't constrained to the bed, only the 11-year-old. Now they're bickering back and forth. He's like, go get the car keys. Get the car keys. We got to get out of here right now. Because the dad's left. Like, they're about to get caught. He takes the bottles of gasoline and he runs up and down the stairs like frantically and he's pouring the gasoline on the victims, on the mother, on the daughters that are still alive. Now, they have pillowcases on their head. He's dousing all the victims with gasoline. Oh, my God. Right? What monsters. Yeah, no shit. This is why people are like, "Um, can we just, you know. Kill these assholes, yeah. And it was like, you can't seriously be contemplating burning these, these two girls alive. Mm-hmm. Like, that it's uncomfortable. Like, yes. that it's, it's unreal. It's bizarre. It's, it's completely unreal. It's just not what. You can't do that. It's, 
He just can't. I went to KK's room. Um, there was no gasoline in there. She was still in her bed. Is she still alive? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Face is covered? Uh, yes, the phone case was back for her. Okay. Uh, but up enough so that she, okay. she could breathe. Um, and I closed the door, and then I went down to the back towards the stairway and past the oldest daughter's room. Uh, she too was sitting in her room, um, tied to her bed uh, like she was previously. And the whole this whole interview, he's trying to blame his accomplice. But here's the thing, like takes two to tango in this yeah. the gasoline's poured everywhere so and you know the 11 year old's tied to the bed so and that's what he says i shut the door and then later like in the interview like the door's yeah. not made of wood he he i mean they're both you the know? same the defense attorney comes out for stephen hayes and is like since he's been arrested he's been suffering depression and all this stuff i'm like boo fucking who yeah you know what you should do every day you should throw a little bit of gasoline on him <laughs> and fucking burn him every day where it's excruciating make him live his entire Ooh. life with third fucking degree burns every yeah. goddamn day until he's 99 and then kill him but that's just how i did justice the 17 year old daughter was actually not restrained to the bed the daughters, and I don't know how accurate this is. I really pray to God that it's true. They both died of smoke inhalation and not being burned to death. Mm. They they died of the smoke, mm. you know. I hope so. And I believe that. But the daughter actually, the seventeen year old, was trying to run out of the house. She made it out of her door, and she was found dead at the top of the stairs. Mm. But the smoke got her. You know, wow. the 11 year old, she didn't have a chance. She was tied to the bed. After this whole thing, the detectives, they took uh, Joshua's phone and they found seven or eight nude pictures that he actually took of the 11 year old during this whole thing. <sighs> oh, okay. So I'm going to sicko. Yeah. I really hope that he is being absolutely tormented in prison. Well, like seriously, ass raped every day. Hayes, would you want me to tell you the verdicts or whatever? Yeah, I mean, hey, I'm assuming it's fucking guilty. Yeah, so Hayes was found guilty of 16 out of 17 counts of burglary to murder to arson, all this stuff. November 8, 2010, a jury recommended execution by lethal injection. Good for well, you. What do you guys think? Do you guys believe in execution? I don't. I do. Uh, um, under certain circumstances. What about this case where you rape an 11 year old and then set her on fire? I, that's like, <laughs> like fucking shit. You know, I don't this know. This is one of the cases that makes me, that, that definitely challenges my stance on the death penalty. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I, I don't know. In the HBO documentary, the uh, defense attorney did bring up a good point. Doing capital punishment, it's um, not to mention what he says as barbaric, but it, it does drag out for years and years, years of appeals. And, and all this time you're putting the family through additional torture because they got to be at the, all the court proceedings and stuff like that. So they're reliving this. So I, I do 
understand that. And my position now is I believe it should be the family that decides. Anyway, mm. and I do see the one of the defense lawyers in the HBO documentary said, well, if you make the case, because this is a strong case. Right. I mean, even people are like, man, I don't believe in death penalty, but yet I might make an exception. But he did say, if you make the exception here, then where's the line? You know, right. it, you either right. abol- you either don't have it or you do have it. You, right. you, you know what I'm saying? There's mm-hmm. no, wow, this is so bad type of shit. So I don't know. What do you guys think out there? You guys got any questions about anything? No. I can answer any questions about his background. No, I would just say my, you know, my stance on the death penalty, like there are very few cases that are so cut and dry Mm-hmm. Um, what I hate about death penalty cases is where there could, there is actually still doubt in a potential case where someone may be, have a potential be exonerated. These guys ain't getting exonerated. They fucking ran into the cops. Like, no questioning. This was them. They admitted everything that they did. It's well documented. I know what they did, and I know all, we know all the acts that right. they did. So in a case like this, I wouldn't be opposed to the death penalty. Yeah. But um, in so many other cases where it could be an innocent case or you just don't know, feel like you don't know, then I wouldn't. Oh, I do want to point out one one other fact. There is a law that was instated about 10 years ago. Now, I couldn't really find the exact law because it's like lawyers know that shit. Because in the state of Connecticut... A felony of burglary is 10 years in prison. You have a guy like Joshua with 18 on the record. Huh. That's more than a life sentence in prison. Yeah. But when he got arrested the last time before this event happened, they didn't see the Department of Corrections and the Department of the Parole Board, the Parole and Pardons Board, did not see that list of all of his felonies. There what? is a law that well, is... Well, that's in... a clerical error. Exactly. Well, there's a law now that the prosecutors, and I don't know much about law, but they have to submit all this stuff to both entities. Those two entities did not have it. So they treated him like a first-time offender. Whoa. And with Joshua being, he's very manipulate, manipulating. He kind of went through the system and he shouldn't even have been out of prison. Wow. You don't ru- you don't get busted 18 times for burglary and then get out of prison. I'm sorry. I mean, they may not have like, given him <laughs> 10 times 18 exactly. sentences, but he probably would not have been out and walking at the t- that time. Yeah. So a lot of it is the fault ultimately lays with these guys, but it also lays with the cops that stood outside a burning house while these and that teenage girls system. are yeah. screaming to death and the justice system. You know, I mean, things the things like this should bring some positive changes, you know, if people adopt them and, and actually make those change. I don't know. What do you guys think? That's a shame. Mm-hmm. That's a really big shame. Mm-hmm. It just things like it, him walking the streets could have been avoidable. Yep. And the deaths of those three young ladies was also avoidable. Yeah, it's tragic. I do want to say real quick that the home was burned down and demolished. It's now a memorial garden for the family. So if you're ever in the Cheshire 
neighborhoods, be sure to go and uh, put some flowers down and, and walk around. It's a beautiful garden they had. They put some money into it. It's like at a, a garden walk where you can walk through the little thing. So oh, it's really nice. Yeah, it's really good. So be sure to, if you're ever up in that area. And the foundation is the Pettit Family Foundation. The Pettit Family Foundation tries to do as many good actions as possible to counteract the evil that truly exists in the world today. Mm. We feel that we all must make a commitment to do what we can to make this world a better place. Be sure to go to PettitFamilyFoundation.org or just type uh, the Pettit Family Foundation in Google. And I do want to say real quick, yes, this story is for you, Karina, and one point that we did not get to discuss because of the time limit that you may can chime in on since you are interested, really interested in the psychology of this stuff is there's been a couple studies done of how burglary of breaking and entering criminals that will break into a home and burglarize have a higher tendency to sexually assault their victims. Hmm, that's There's a link between the two. It's a, uh, interesting. It's a very psychoanical. Maybe, maybe because the act of breaking and entering is almost a violation of someone's space, and that's that. It's a violation of someone's like human body yeah. by sexually assaulting them. So I mean, Colonel, it's a boundary uh, thing. Russell Williams. Yeah. Um. I mean, so a lot of the stories that we've done. Have linked that. Yeah, but there's a very yeah. high link to both of them, and that popped out at me, and I started reading some of the uh, studies, and I'll put them on the uh, the forum for you, Karina, and maybe you can chime in if you know more about that. But that was my story on the Pettit family tragedy known as the Cheshire Murders. Uh, once again, this was a Talkos Primo episode. If you want me to tell your story for you, maybe a story that happened in your hometown just a few blocks down the street, or maybe you have one, maybe you have a case that you've been interested in and want to hear me tell it. Go to talkmurder.com slash join, become a Taco Supremo, get a badass t-shirt, get a lot of swag, get a lot of stickers, get a lot of love from us, get shouted out all over the place, and more importantly, submit your Taco special or hometown murder, and I will research it and dedicate it to you here on the show. At Huntington, we've been asking ourselves, can we make saving money any easier? And we think we've solved it. Introducing Money Scout. It analyzes your spending habits, income, and expenses to find money not being used in your checking account, then pushes it to savings automatically. Why would a bank do that? Just to help people thrive. That's how we reinvent banking. Huntington, welcome. Subject to eligibility, terms, conditions, and account agreements. Learn more and enroll at Huntington.com slash Money Scout. There are so many reasons not to skip breakfast. So many savory, mouth-watering, tasty, delicious beyond all belief reasons. Actually, that last one was pretty convincing. Stop by for a McDonald's breakfast. Mix and match a sausage biscuit, sausage McMuffin, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Any two for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal.